When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just $60, bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello there and welcome to the Times Business Podcast in which we look ahead to the stories and the set-piece events that will be making the news in the coming days. I'm Robert Miller. That means we'll be talking about Bank of England minutes, UK jobs and inflation, and we'll be looking across to the United States and talking about the next interest rate rise and what Wall Street's betting on. I'm joined by Richard Fletcher, the Times business editor, Philip Aldrich, our economics editor and columnist, and on the line from Washington, Alexandra Freen, US business editor of the Times. Welcome to you all. And Philip, let's start with you. Bank of England minutes coming up. What new are we going to learn? What are you looking for? We're not going to find out anything particularly new here, obviously, because the we know that uh, there was no rate rise in June. It's it's almost certain that they've all voted for holding rates. This is probably because the budget is going to be on July the 8th, and it's another political risk or political milestone uh, that the rate setters will want to have passed before the, before they start voting for rate rises. The exciting thing would be if one or two of them had uh, started calling for a rate rise, which is probably less likely this month than next month. Martin Wheel and Ian McCafferty were calling for rate rises at the back end of last year before uh, inflation dropped away uh, with the fall in the oil price. So um, there is a possibility that, that they may start to call for a rise in interest rates. But it would be what, one or two? That's the first signal then? Uh, well, rates are well, rates are at half a percent at the moment. It'd be it would possibly be be both of them because they were moving in tandem before. So it could be two. So it could be a seven v two um, for holding rates. But that would be the most hawkish sign we would get. And actually, if we got two, if we got two of them voting for rate rises, you'd probably see a bounce in sterling because uh, it would it would be it would be quite, it would be taken as quite a hawkish signal especially before the budget and uh, and i don't think the markets are really expecting uh, anybody really to be moving on uh, on interest rates yet philip richard there talks about the markets and indeed business this long hiatus where nothing happens what effect do you think it has on business and particularly their investment decisions looking to the future actually i was more about thinking about whether i should fix my mortgage again or go for a variable but um uh, I, I, business loves this at the end of the day it's it's uh, it's it, what's that terrible hackneyed phrase about a uh, phrase about business doesn't like uncertainty. Well, there's no uncertainty around our interest rate, rate policy. It's been at it's been at the current rate for how many months now, Phil? Let's test you. Seventy-five. Yeah, Seventy-five, like and uh, no one's really expecting a change until early next year. So we might even get to a hundred meetings, mightn't we? We could possibly. Uh, <laughs> anyway, but so as business probably loves it, don't they? I mean, it's, everyone knows it, it's not going to rise, and it's at a nice low level. Money's cheap. 
Philip, at the same time that they released the Bank of England minutes, they also have the regional agents' report. Tell us about their role and why, because you can read their reports, their summaries online, can't you? So anyone can access them. Why are they important and why perhaps should we read them? The bank uh, have operations around the country and they actually speak to businessmen on the ground. They have guys who speak to businessmen on the ground in Wolverhampton or you know, up north or, or wherever to get a real sense of what's happening in the <laughs> economy. North. Phil, it's like, <laughs> is that another world for you? <laughs> um, and uh, so, so there they are uh, trying to find out what, what is genuinely happening on the ground and they report back and there's, there's a bunch of metrics so they get, they get input on investment levels, they get input on recruitment, they get input on you know, credit availability, uh, c- consumer spending all, all sorts of uh, things that are, are vital to show early indications of the trajectory of the economy. Now, none of this stuff is it will be in any hard data. This is survey data. This is people on the ground, and and so it is quite it is quite significant. What's quite bizarre about it is that the bank puts a lot of store by what they find from from uh, from these guys, but uh, it, it doesn't get it doesn't get picked up that much elsewhere. The U.S. actually have a similar uh, a similar thing where, but they release this the their equivalent to the agents' reports separately to the minutes or their, their Fed minutes and, and the market watches it quite closely. So it, it is an important report, but it just doesn't get the exposure here that, uh, that, it, that it probably deserves. Well, that's what we're doing now. And you can find those yeah, on the okay. Bank of England website if you're so minded. I mean, looking at the jobs now, UK jobs, they've been falling, some people say, to record lows. Is that going to continue or like the economy, will that slow down? Well, it's at 5.5% at the moment, uh, the unemployment rate. Expect it to fall maybe to 5.4%, so just a tiny tick down. We're, we're, We're back in sort of levels where this is practically normal levels of unemployment now. The Bank of England estimates its equilibrium rate to be 5.1%, which is where the average was between 2000 and 2007. So, uh, so we're, we're pretty back, pretty much back to normal on, on, on unemployment. Have they even got jobs in that myth of, mythical north place that you keep on talking they're about? Apparently, up apparently up north they're doing very well, actually. Yeah. I heard it was a powerhouse. We are a paper that's available throughout the country of fire and not just in London. And elsewhere indeed, Richard, and yes, elsewhere. You're European editions, Irish editions. <laughs> Richard, jobs obviously the key to the, the, the future of the economy. I mean, when you talk to business leaders, are they talking about still hiring or are they talking about keeping still for a while? Well, actually, I was, I was briefly in Canada earlier this week, and there they are definitely talking about hiring. In fact, they've started talking about the difficulties of retaining staff and recruiting people, which was quite interesting, actually, because it, it reminded me that I haven't had that sort of conversation with a British chief executive uh, for many, many years. And uh, it's not... I mean, it, obviously, uh, we are going to start to see shortage of labours, but it, it is interesting, you know, I, I spent a long time talking to somebody in Canada about how, how hard it was to recruit, uh, to work in uh, the factory that they, they, they ran. And that isn't a conversation I feel I've probably had with a, uh, a manufacturer or a retailer in the UK. But uh, presumably, if we are moving down to the sort of 5.1%, uh, we're, 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 uh, perhaps I'm going to start being have those conversations. be more interesting actually over the sort of uh, the main course to talk about that than have the endless debate about Europe. Well, I suppose there's always that. And, and finally, inflation from the UK, uh, Phil, were virtually at zero. Is it likely to stay there? Where, where's the pressure? Well, we're at from? minus 0.1. Um, it'll probably go back to zero, which, so the seminal moment of, you know, the first time in 55 years that we've had deflation may may be over. I actually just wanted to mention wages, actually, because pay is uh, quite Why critical. Why have got Richard here, you mean? 
Yeah, exactly. Um, That's a nice timely the, one there. <laughs> the country needs a pay rise, <laughs> boss. And uh, well, currently wages are running at 1.9%, and uh, the la- labour market data, so the unemployment data, will have the, the, the update in the average earnings, and that should that should go up to, to above 2%. If you think that before the crisis, earnings were about 4.25%, we've still got a long way to go to get back to normal on, on wages. But uh, an uptick will to you know, around 22 or something will probably be seen as, as another sign, possibly, that... Uh, interest rates should begin to start moving in the UK. And Alex, let me bring you in here. I mean, the US Federal Reserve's meeting, and presumably they'll be having a conversation around much the same data that we've been talking about here uh, in the UK. Not long ago, this was the month, of course, first tipped for uh, an increase in US rates. Uh, Then it moved out to September. Any advance? Well, I think that nobody seriously expects the Federal Reserve is going to raise interest rates at their meeting next week. So June is off the table. Uh, September is still very much on the table. There's still a few economists who are pointing instead to December. But I'm hearing from more and more people that September looks likely. I mean, the Fed has, has set itself two yardsticks to gauge whether it should raise interest rates. And, um, you know, one is further in improvement in the labour market and the other is a confidence that inflation will rise in the medium term. And, and we've hit those two things. So really they've got not very much excuse to to hold back. I mean, they have pointed out that there's been some soft economic data lately, but they've also said they regard that as transitory. So I would be very surprised if we didn't have a liftoff um, in the autumn or the winter. Yeah, I think some of the bond market uh, professionals are, are looking at September as well, aren't they? Um, Janus Capital, Bill Gross, who, who was the head of PIMCO for, for years and years, he was saying September. I think, I think um, PIMCO also saying September. So it looks, it looks like uh, an autumn, autumn rise is definitely on the cards. All right, going to put you both on the spot. Alex, you first. Who's going to be the first to move? Oh, I think I think the Federal Reserve will. I I I think that they um, there's just a sort of much deeper confidence I think in the U.S. about the state of the economy. There's been some wobbles. I mean, we had an interesting survey out earlier this week from the Business Roundtable, which represents CEOs, who gave a very gloomy outlook for the next six months. But they're pretty much the only people saying that. Um, so my my money would be on Janet Yellen and the Federal Reserve taking the first step. Philip. Yeah, the US are going to blink first, aren't they? The, uh, we're not expected to move until the second quarter of next year. Uh, certainly, we've, we're a long way behind the US in terms of the economic recovery. So the, six, six months after then, we, we, we may be looking at. All right, thanks. Well, stay with us, Alex, and we'll be back with you shortly. Uh, Richard, let's move on to what investors are going to be looking for in particular. We've got Poundland. Uh, it's got full-year results in its acquisition of 99p stores. The discounters, are they still on the rise or is this just a fad? Well, they are still on the rise. Poundland's quite interesting. We've had a, we had a downgrade uh, from a number of analysts uh, last week. Most interestingly of all, we had a downgrade from Shaw Capital, uh, which um, are the house broker, Clive Black uh, at Shaw Capital, one of the better-known retail analysts. But he's downgraded, and I think uh, downgraded for the coming year rather than this year. So I think the focus will very much be on their outlook uh, and, and what they say about the first quarter. Uh, Clive has warned his clients that he, that he thinks the trading momentum has slipped back in Q1, 
investors have very much got used to double digit momentum at these discount retailers but you can't you can't keep doing that forever uh, and 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 Clive expects to see sort of seven and a half percent growth we're expecting sort of profits of around 44 million for 2015 on sales of just about 1.1 billion um, so that's pretty impressive um, but there will be some uh, focus on on the outlook not least because we've had some pretty dire footfall figures we've had some pretty miserable weather for this time of year and uh, B&M stores which is one of their rivals has warned uh, that, 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 that they They've seen a slow start for their outdoor ranges, which they normally do quite well from, which not surprisingly given the weather. And then the other problem for Poundland has been that the uh, the pound has uh, remained firm against the euro. We're very strong against the euro. They've got a big business in Ireland, and that obviously has a hit. So I think the, the focus will very much be on what they say about the first quarter and what they say about the, about the outlook. Just as a point of principle, if your own house broker turns against you and says a downgrade, I mean, that sends presumably an even more stark warning to the market than just a, a neutral broker, doesn't it? Yeah, but it's a very, I mean, obviously I'm sure this isn't the case in Poundland or any of the other companies that I can think of at this exact moment in time, but it's quite clever if, you know, if you're an analyst, you want your forecast to be right, and if the house broker nudges down, uh, nudges their forecast down slightly, you'll, you'll find that all of the analysts follow, uh, and then when you come to announce your results, they're in line with expectations, but in line with expectations that were nudged down two months ago, and I'm sure that's not the case in Poundland, and it's definitely not the case uh, at Marks & Spencer's where you should always follow the housebroker incredibly carefully because they tend to be amazingly well informed a few months before uh, the results. So uh, it's actually it's a great tip for investors. Always watch the house analyst uh, because they tend to be better informed than uh, than some of the other analysts, let's put it like that. Well, there's a handy tip for you. Alex, um, knowing both countries as you do, uh, is it fair to say that the big discounters appear to be so much more established in the United States than Britain? What's your experience? Absolutely. The, the dollar stores... Um, here are, are they're really well entrenched. They're big companies. You know, the biggest one, Dollar General, has got a market cap of $23 billion. And uh, they've been very clever. They picked up a lot of customers who traded down during the recession. But what they've what they've been really successful in doing is, you know, bringing people back and back again for repeat purchases. And there are three big chains here. Two of them have just merged. And they, they've been very clever at differentiating themselves um, from each other. So they all have a slightly different offering. And, um, you know, they, they've been taking business away from Walmart, um, their big rival, um, really successfully. What's really interesting for me is that 20 or 30 years ago, you saw the likes of uh, Hargreaves, who, who, who founded Matalan, and a number of other retailers. They went over to the U.S. to look at U.S. retailers and study you know, copy their models and 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 study what they've done. And, and among them, the the many of the discount retailers today went to the states to learn to learn how to do it properly. Discounters. I mean, they're, they're making hay while the sun shines, aren't they? Uh, with the big with the big supermarkets over here. Do you well, think that can continue? Well, as we've discussed on this very podcast before, you know, the the big four took their eye off the ball. They were very focused on each other. They 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 really didn't notice the growth of discounters and and the market share that they were stealing i I mean the question is have as i've as i've argued before have shopping habits changed forever or is it because we've been through a a financial crisis and a recession will people return to their old ways i'm not sure it's quite fun to go around a pound store isn't it i mean do you end up actually spending quite a lot in your basket because you keep on thinking that's a fantastic bargain and you end up with a load of old tat you don't really need uh i I mean listen they're, they're, they're now well established businesses they were 
traditionally they were run by uh, small entrepreneurs, many of whom had started on market stalls. Um, a lot of the big private equity firms have invested. Uh, you know, uh, Terry Leahy read, led a private equity investment in B&M. You know, some of those have now come to the market. We're seeing consolidation. These are now well-run businesses with with uh, well-run logistical operations, uh, very professional buying uh, uh, divisions. So uh, I, I think the idea that they're suddenly going to disappear from the high street and we're all going to, you know, start sort of shopping at, at nice middle-class shops instead is is probably not true. True, but uh, you know you can't have double-digit like-for-like sales growth forever because your comparisons become harder and harder, and that's one of the problems that Poundland faces: is that they've had two or three years of strong growth, and you, it's difficult to then deliver again and again and again. All right, thanks, Richard. Well, you can check out the Poundland results and the latest breaking stories as they happen on our Business Now Live blog. That's on the business page of our website, which now comes in a pop-out form that makes it easier to read. And don't forget, of course, time subscribers can also sign up to the daily morning and lunchtime emails. It's going to keep you up to date with all the news and if you don't have a subscription it's easy to get one there's a special offer one pound go to thetimes.co.uk and if you want to hear us weekly you can subscribe through itunes my thanks to richard fletcher philip aldrich and alexandra freen and you can follow them all on twitter we'll be back next week thanks for listening thank you for downloading to discover more head to thetimes.co.uk 